When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel. Oops, not joined by Bruce Feldman this week. It is a first, I believe, in the eight-year history of the show that Bruce has called in sick. We really hope he feels better. Um, so I have enlisted two of my colleagues this week to fill in. We'll be hearing from Nicole Auerbach in a little bit on a whole lot of uh, interesting stories off the field in college football. Right now, I am thrilled to welcome a guy who has been living in, under some delusion that he's been blackballed from the Audible, and that is Stars Matter himself, our recruiting recruiting guru, Ari Wasserman. Welcome, Ari. It feels good because two weeks ago, uh, Bruce said on the Andy Staples show that I was blackballed from the show, and I've been living in constant anxiety uh, the last two weeks <laughs> since. And I, I would have understood if you did. I just, uh, you know, wanted to understand the reasoning. So now, two weeks later, I can finally take a deep breath and and, and kind of relieve myself of all that anxiousness. And I'm, I'm I'm happy to be here. Let the record show that it's happening in a week when Bruce is not here. So if anyone's blackballed you. Uh, it's not me. Uh, I, I'm officially, uh, uh, liberated of that. Yes. Yes. So he has a lot of explaining to do. And I know that we had a, a nice little show plan, but something changed that show, uh, (laughs) like a little, a little college football news changed it. So I think it's an appropriate time for me to step in and, and help relieve him, uh, you know, while he's not feeling so hot. Yeah. So it's the, it's the world's craziest coincidence. Let the record show. I, that's the second time I've used that phrase texted you uh, Wednesday night saying, hey, you want to come on? There's a lot going on recruiting I want to talk about. And then the very next morning, I think minutes before we were going to record, Arch Manning sends his first ever tweet. He's committed to Texas. So we got to tackle that first. For those who haven't been following his recruitment closely, it had come down to Texas, Alabama, and Georgia. Two of those programs played for the national championship last year. The other one went five and seven. So in lost to Kansas. In Los, why is he? Why is he? Why has he chosen Texas? Yeah, uh, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, you know, as you go and you look at the way that he's approached his recruitment, it, it's funny that it came down to the two teams that won the national championship and churn out you know NFL draft picks at a higher rate than everybody else. But then and then you have Texas in there that you know was a little bit of a change of pace. So I think it just goes to show you that you know relationships and feel and and just kind of the way it works actually does pay dividends uh, when it comes to recruiting. So it's kind of a surprising, you know, twist, I guess. And in a world where the top hundred players seem to go to the same five schools every time they make a big announcement. Um, But it also shows too, that like Texas is still a brand, you know, it's still still uh, King. I don't know, Stu, back in the old days uh, when you used to do, uh, well, you still do it, right. Um, Top 10 job lists, right. Like, did you guys ever like rank jobs back in the day? Sure. And Texas has always been in my top five. Yeah, but it was like number one for like five, six years in a row, you know, between like 2009 and 14, you know, like it's still a really desirable place. Let me correct myself. I think last year I suggested they shouldn't be in the top five. They're still in the top 10. It is it has become a harder job or maybe it was always a hard job. And Mac Brown was just really good at it. But if you look at Texas's history, that Mac Brown decade and it was a great decade has been the aberration uh, in the history of that program. We're certainly seeing that since. Adding to the mystery is that Arch Manning, unlike all these other recruits who do interviews every week and tell you who their top 10 are, top five, and what they like about their visits, correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't said a word about any of this. It's all coming from his high school coach or nobody at all. So we just kind of have to guess. And the the what's been kind of the prevailing wisdom is that he just really likes Sark and his offense that produced... Tua and Mac Jones and and so on and so forth. Is that the correct read here? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that the 
Um, cool thing about Arch Manning's recruitment is that it was kind of just like behind the scenes. And the only way that you could get a gauge of what he was doing or what he was leaning uh, is based on the tea leaves of where he was visiting and how he was spending his time. Um, but there's like two types of prospects, right? There's the one prospect that wants to go to a place that has a laundry list of draft picks and national championships and all the success in the world and want to be the next best thing at that place. And you have the other type of prospect that wants to go to a place and, and forge his own path and, and bring something back or, or do something unique. And, you know, having never spoken to the, to the kid myself, which is, you know, atypical for somebody of his stature, it would be nice to sit down and have a conversation about like, what is it that you want? Cause like throughout his entire recruitment, uh, all the, the discussion and the discourse was, well, what's the best place for him? Or why would he go to Texas? He should be at Alabama and all this stuff like, like what we all think like he should do, but nobody's ever really gotten to sit down and say, Hey, what do you want? You know? And, you know, this commitment, I think is a proof that he didn't just want to be the next guy in line somewhere else or, um, you know, do something that somebody's already done. Like if you go to Texas and become the number one overall pick in the draft, and, and win a bunch of games and maybe playing a college football playoff during your career there. I think that's, that's way more impressive and far more unique than what most five-star prospects are accomplishing at Georgia, Ohio state and the other programs. So certainly is a, is a nice little hit here for, for Texas. And I'm very excited to see how it, it kind of has a butterfly effect on what else happens with their class, you know, as the 2023 cycle was six months away from signing day, but yeah, it's an absolutely huge opportunity for Texas football to, you know, get back to where they believe they should be and, and an opportunity for Arch Manning to do something that no one else has done. It's certainly more interesting for our purposes. If he had committed to Alabama, we would have just said, well, same old, same old, rich gets richer. Yeah, This is a much more fascinating subplot. And I want to talk about how it affects Texas in a second. But first, Arch Manning has been the most hyped recruit in, I don't know, many years, right? I'm thinking Jadavion Clowney level. Um, yeah, Terrell probably the prior most. level. Yeah. Yeah. But for one reason and one reason only his last name. Right. Uh, so you've seen all these guys play. Are we absolutely sure that he's the best quarterback in this class, as opposed to Malachi Nelson, who's going to USC or Nico, who's going to Tennessee or, or maybe even some of yeah. the other guys. Are we sure that our eyes say this guy is the next second coming and not this guy is related to Peyton and Eli Manning. Yeah. And that's the number one question that anybody asks of like, is this guy actually as good as his name would suggest that he is. And the truth is, and I'm going to go see uh, my best friend in the whole wide world, Bruce Feldman at the elite 11 next week in LA. Um, But when you're on the field at those, those camps with the five-star prospects everywhere, the top 20 players in the country, a lot of times when you're watching it, it's really hard to distinguish. uh, Well, who's actually the best player. I mean, last year when Quinn Ewers was unquestionably the number one prospect in the country on that field, there were other four or five star prospects like Drew Aller, who's at Penn State right now, who looked every bit as good as him on that field. And I think the the reminder is with all the money people spend and all the time people spend and the resources that they have nowadays to you know cultivate these quarterbacks, they're just a lot better by the time they get to this age than they used to be in 2000 and 2005 and 2010. And it's like always such a weird thing to say, well, I think that kid should start as a, as a quarterback, as a freshman, because that's such a, a, a huge statement to make. And it would have been 10, 15 years ago. And now... They're just more prepared. And I make that point because I, I say when you, or I answer when you say, is he as good as Malachi Nelson? Uh, is he as good as, as Nico? It's like, I don't know. It's really, really hard. It's the same question that people in the NFL draft asked every year, like two years ago when they had five quarterbacks taken in the first 15 picks. Was Zach Wilson better than Justin Fields? I guess it's in the eye of the beholder. So, right. so But what I can say to you, though, is he's absolutely a five-star prospect. Um, if his last name wasn't Manning and his last name was Mandel, um, he would probably still be in the top 10 somewhere. His last name was Mandel, man. He <laughs> wouldn't have any athleticism. He'd run off. <laughs> well, I a went five, to 240. Yeah, I was going to say Wasserman and then I went to Mandel and I think we ended up in the same place. But, yeah. um, you know, the, the idea, though, is, is that he is really, really good. You know, he's a six foot two, six foot three guy with a, a, a guy who can play off schedule. He's got a big arm. And the fact of the matter is, is that People say, well, is he just a Manning? Well, it's like being a Manning is part of the evaluation because, A, you've got the gene pool for it. That that matters. It's not like it's it's made up. I mean, you come from a family that's like that. You know, you grow up eating, breathing, and, and sleeping football. It comes with an IQ and an understanding of how to play the position when you're guided by the best players to ever do it at that position. So 
you know, I don't view it as just like, oh, well, we think he's really good and it's all hype because of his last name. Like this is somebody who's been thoroughly evaluated by many, many people and nobody thinks he stinks. You know, is he better than the other three five-star prospects in this class? Uh, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll find out in three or four years, but you know, here's my take on it. And it's something that I've said in the past, but when you look at recruiting in general, because Texas, Georgia, and Alabama all have five-star prospects on their roster already at the quarterback position that they've signed in the last year or two, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at exactly what this means for Texas from a football standpoint, you know, you might say, well, hey, you got a huge quarterback battle coming up next year with Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning at at the same place at the same time. But what is more important to you in your mind? And I'll ask you this back. Is it getting a person that can help win on the field in year one or year two? Or is it the legitimacy that it gives Texas's build and it gives Sark? And we're talking about a person that literally could have gone anywhere he wanted to go and visited all the best places in the entire country. And at the end of the road, he's like, you know what? Texas is the place for me. And maybe it's an offensive thing, or maybe it's a close relationship with Sark thing, but he thought that Texas was the best place to commit to play football one way or the other. And what does that mean for somebody who's on group text with other 2023 five-star prospects or is friends with other guys that are going to be making these commitments? What about the five-star receivers in, in Dallas that are like, you know what? Texas might be onto something here that, that go take an extra visit that they wouldn't have taken had he not committed and they might sign a better class. So, you know, when you, when you say, well, is Arch as good as his last name is, you know, I guess, you know, the, the, the cliche is time will tell, but I think that there will be a real profile shift on that program. And I think it's going to pay dividends immediately in the recruiting process. And even if he's not Joe Montana or Peyton Manning or whoever else you want to compare him to, you might bring six or seven guys in there that can change the entire face of that program that want to come play with him. And I think that that's invaluable. The profile of Texas is different today than it was yesterday. And I think that's important to to note. It's absolutely huge for, for him, for Sark and his recruiting pitch and his brand. And somebody pointed out on Twitter and it's a good point. Tom, we knew Tom Herman's days were numbered at Texas or started to realize that they were numbered when Quinn Ewers decommitted from Texas and went to Ohio state. And here we are two years later, Quinn Ewers is at Texas now. And this is the, this is the opposite. This is Sark could go three and nine this year. He's not getting fired. He's, he's the guy who got Arch Manning who's coming the year after. And when you mentioned the elite 11 that Quinn Ewers was at it, it all, I had to do a double take in my mind. He was at last year's elite 11. That's right. Because of July 1st of 2021, he was still expected to be part of the class this that class. just signed, right? Yes. And then like a month later, he's, he reclassified and he went to Ohio State. That's right. Um, and the truth is, is that let's just say that Arch Manning is a bust because people are like, well, well Texas is still going to go five and seven or whatever. All the jokes that people make. It's like between Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning, one of them is going to be really, really good, right? I mean, they were both the number one overall player in their class. And it's like if both of those turn out to not be very good and Texas doesn't, you know, have a, a sizable lift on their performance on the field as a result of a superior quarterback play from these two, then it's just like I might just go on the radio and on your podcast and just say there's literally no hope that Texas can ever make it to the playoff ever. It's like they've got two guys to pick through now and we don't know who's going to win. You know, and maybe Quinn Ewers will be the starter this year. You know, who knows what it's going to look like in November and December. Um, but between those two guys, you know, I don't know how many times, if ever, a program in college football has signed the number one overall player at the quarterback position in back-to-back years. Now, technically, it's not back-to-back years, but age-wise, it is. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I put out a tweet that was not popular among the Texas fan base Mm -hmm. in which I said the chances, what are the chances that both Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning are still on Texas's roster come the 2023 season? I used the animal house 0.0 and like that. And yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but what's also, I think presumptuous, you know, you're seeing if if one reason Texas fans should be excited about this, like enjoy it, celebrate it. This is your biggest win in years. I do wonder if we're being a little 
premature because of the notion that, well, now their next five years of quarterback are set. Quinn Ewers will start for two years. Uh, he'll red, uh, Arch will redshirt, and then he'll start for two years. Quinn Ewers hasn't thrown a pass in college yet. And yeah. as you said, I mean, I distinctly remember, Bruce, you guys were at Elite 11, and the impression coming out of that was, are we, you know, he was in a, that, what, a perfect recruit, 1,000, was it 1.0, 1, 1. the 1,000 mm-hmm. recruit, Trevor Lawrence. And then coming out of Elite 11, there was some, well, he wasn't necessarily blowing people away. And then he reclassified, and we'll never know if maybe his ranking would have dropped. But he looked good in the spring game by all accounts. Sam Kahn came on here recently and said so. Um, but it's not a given he's even going to win the job this year. And we're already anointing him. Uh, yeah. that we're already de- declaring that Arch Manning's going to have to sit behind him. I, I don't know if that's going to play out that way. Well, last year at the Elite 11, my main story was to try to go there and explain to people why Quinn Ewers had the 1.00 rating and was rated higher than Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields you know, in the recent history. And the reason why he had a 1.00 rating wasn't because that he, he was evaluated as a better quarterback than those guys. It's because he was a consensus number one overall player from all of the different uh, recruiting services. So it gets kind of tricky because it's like, yes, he's a five-star prospect, but it's not like he's like rated the same exact way as Vince Young was, you know, it just happens to be the way that the composite works. So, you know, the fact is, is that we, he had that 1.00 rating. And I think that that elevated what people viewed him as, as a prospect from really, really good five-star prospect. It was a chance to be great to like, and can't miss no doubt about it, number one overall pick in three years, and I'm not sure that's what he is. So maybe he will be, but when you say there's a 0% chance that they'll both be on the roster in 2023, isn't that the first year that Arch shows up? Yes. So like if... if um, But I assume he'll late. be there in the spring, right? And if he... If the coming out of spring, it's clear that Arch is going to win the job, Quinn Ewers is going to transfer. The other way around is not so certain. I'll, I'll admit that. And then, yeah, because you know, I joked with you on text. I'm like, well, yeah, you did tweet that uh, you implied that Arch Manning was going to transfer right away. And you're like, I think I was implying more Quinn. And I was just joking. I think we know what you were implying. But it's just like the idea of um, what if Quinn Ewers goes out and is awesome this year, you know, and, uh, you know, he's the the returning starter and they win 10 games because of him. Like, I don't I don't know that he would be benched right away. Now, the question that I have about Arch Manning is, is that what is his temperament as a player? Because you look at his his recruitment and he did it old school, right? No graphics, no nothing, no interviews, no NIL drama, no trying to get Instagram followers. Everything that he did was just visits, phone calls, relationships, everything behind the scene and drop my commitment whenever I feel like it out of nowhere. Yeah, It's like he had that old school temperament during his recruitment, right? Well, I wonder if he'll have an old school temperament as a player, like, because really when you think about it, Stu... When is when did this trend started when five star prospects expect to play as true freshmen? Because when I first started it, you know, covering Ohio State in 2009, that wasn't the temperament. That was sign a five star prospect, come into the weight room program, you know, get bigger, eat right, learn the playbook, and maybe by the time you're a redshirt sophomore, you'll be ready to start. Like this whole start as a freshman thing is a very very new phenomenon. Well, isn't it tied directly to the transfer waiver? Sure, now, sure. You and know, I also think that they're better. Yeah. I think that the quarterbacks are better when they get to campus than they used to be. Um, but what if what if Arch Manning is like, you know what? I'm an old school guy. I uh, just want to do what's best for the team. I love Texas. I love Sark. Quinn Ewers had a great first year. He, this is his team. I'm going to come in. I'm going to do things the you know quote unquote right way. And I will because Quinn Ewers will be in year his final year of eligibility. Um, in his well, third he'll be in his. Now. Yeah, hit, you know, he could have more eligibility after that, but yeah, yeah. But if he uh, what I meant is a NFL yeah. draft eligibility. He he has last year. Well, uh, look, it's that. been reported that that Arch, you know, and this is not surprising from the lineage he's from. There's not he's fine with redshirting as a freshman. It's not the necessarily the expectation. Um, but let me throw this wrinkle at you. You said what happens if if uh, Quinn Ewers goes out there this year? Let's say he's a Heisman finalist, leads Texas yeah. 10-11 season. Signing day is not till mid-December. If you're Arch Manning, do you say, okay, well, there's definitely no way I'm going to play there next year, but Bryce Young's leaving Alabama and Stetson Bennett's leaving Georgia. I've still got time to change my mind. Yeah, I know, but Eli Holstein's in Alabama's class. I mean, if you go to Alabama, Georgia, you're going to have to face somebody who was a five-star prospect at some point. And the thing that I, I think that it would actually be better for them 
if Texas has a season where Quinn Ewers is a Heisman finalist, then you know going into your freshman, your true freshman year, if you're Arch, that you only have to sit one year and then the team is yours. Because there's no way Quinn Ewers is coming back for year four if he if he's a Heisman finalist as a redshirt freshman and has two years left and one of those years is already gone before Arch even gets there. I think that's the best case scenario that Arch Manning uh, comes in and has one year to sit behind a guy who was already kind of reshaped the way that Texas is viewed and then comes in and finishes the job. So like, what if, what if Hudson card starts all year and there's just a quarterback battle? I think that's a more likely scenario to be honest. And it's like, if that's I what mean, happens then that's when it gets kind of tricky, I think that getting like knowing your direct path to the field, I think is far more valuable than a what if game. So if Hudson card starts all year and Quinn yours is just a, redshirt sophomore going into Arch Manning's true freshman year and it's just like who's going to be the face of of Texas football then that's when I think that a transfer would happen before 2023 if Quinn's the starter this year I think both will be on the roster in 23 the other thing by the way that makes me wish I hadn't tweeted that actually is I kind of forgot that Quinn yours has already used his one-time transfer exception so unless he's going to get his degree in record time he couldn't transfer again and play right away so he could still transfer but he would probably want to get his clock started so I think you're good Okay. Um, but it is art. kind of funny when you think about those two to like go to Ohio State and do a kombucha tea ad. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then and then burn your one transfer before ever really. Supposed I mean, how many millions has Quinn yet? Ewers made already without ha- having just handed it off twice in the Michigan? I State would game? bet my life that he has not made a million dollars. Really? What's I mean, the, the, I thought well, it the was whole that... thing was that he had to make a million or he was going to make a million bucks to to tweet out the kombucha tea, whatever. And I don't I know. I thought if- it was that he got a $1.5 million deal. Well, maybe it would have been contingent on staying at Ohio state. I don't know, but he, yeah, I thought like he got a $1.5 million have- deal from uh, that, that company. And then there was an NFT and I don't know the guys, how he's much got, money- he's driving. Was he driving? CJ Strauss driving a Bentley Quinn's driving. What now? Yeah. But you also uh, have to remember too, that that was Lamborghini right and I yeah. started like they have eased into this. They didn't have Lamborghinis on day one. Like this is a, it's an it's a evolution, and the guy was on campus for three months. So, like, what you think he made a million dollars posting to his Instagram about a kombucha tea ad? What right, kombucha so, tea company is this? Is it Coca Cola? I don't even think they're. It hasn't worked. The fact that neither of us can name it means it didn't. Yes, it didn't that's what work. I'm saying, like, if, I can name Life Wallet, but I can't, I can't name. Um, the imagine kombucha. spending a million dollars on a 17 year old kid who handed the ball off one time to do ads for your kombucha tea, and at the end, the people who cover the sport don't even know what the tea is called. Talk about so, a good use of money. There are actually this is an absolutely loaded quarterback class. There are five on 24 seven. There are five five star quarterbacks: Arch Manning, Malachi Nelson, Nico. I don't try to pronounce his last name. Dante Moore, uh, who is not committed yet. Jackson Arnold, who has committed to Oklahoma. And then, no, sorry, there's a sixth. There's a sixth five-star. Yeah, the rankings have recently changed. Vizina, so. who's going to Clemson. And then Jalen Rashada, Jaden Rashada, is a four-star, but he's a top 50 overall prospect. Um, what's fascinating to me about recruiting, and I want to, I'm love to hear your thoughts on covering recruiting now. Mm-hmm. So if we talk about these guys who haven't committed yet, where are they looking and where do we think they'll go? How do you account for the fact that we don't know? Like I I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that NIL was not the reason Arch Manning picked Texas, but with some of these other kids, I don't know who knows what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, well, Malachi Nelson was committed to the head coach at Oklahoma that he's committed to now at USC Nico at Tennessee. I think everybody kind of just assumes that that's, that's the score there, but Jackson Arnold going to Oklahoma and, and the kid from uh, Birmingham that's committed to, to Clemson. I mean, it's not like, you know, and Pierce Clarkson is the one that's committed to Louisville. But if you look at the results, you know, Tennessee is really the only real outlier here in terms of like where these guys would be going. So, you know, the thing that is really, really difficult for me, Stu, as we kind of go into this world of NIL, and if we're just going to assume that every single person who picks a school that isn't right in line with what we typically would expect from them, that NIL is the cause of that, then A, you know, how do you even analyze recruiting and recruiting success? Because it's a really, really big gray area of financial versus good recruiting jobs. And then secondly, you can't confirm anything that anybody says about it because most of it's fairy dust that's not even real. And it's just like, you know, I don't know. It's kind of a really hard thing to keep up with. And I'm afraid that every single piece of recruiting analysis that we're going to do as a company 
It's just going to boil down to, well, he got paid the most to go there. And it's like, if that's the case, then what are we even writing about? Like, if that's what everybody thinks, then it's like the entire point of my job. Doesn't yeah, exist. I don't think it's reached that point. Some people assume it has. But for instance, CJ Carr, the 2024 quarterback who committed to Notre Dame, Notre Dame's not given out. They don't have a collective that's given out yeah. NIL deals, right? It's And he, if he wanted to, he's a five-star quarterback. He wanted to go on the market and wait for the highest offer. He could probably make $2 million a year. He just really wants to go to Notre Dame. Uh, and he's from, he's Lloyd Carr's grandson. I'm guessing that family is, is fine financially. Whereas some of these other kids are from, you know, coming from families that really, really need that money. Yeah. And that becomes a deciding factor. So, but there seems to be this, this understanding that like Alabama or Ohio state or Clemson or Georgia can't also pay them the same amount. Like, I think that people thought that because of NIL, the top five of the recruiting rankings would look like Arkansas, Mizzou, Pitt, Penn state, and Ole Miss and Oklahoma (laughs) state. And it's like, why you think that all those, like like Louisville just signed a five-star running back, um, Ruben Owens out of El Campo, Texas. And everyone's like, oh my God, NIL money. It's like, oh my God, you don't think that Georgia could compete with that? Or Texas or AM, like Louisville has some sort of NIL juggernaut, like money bag machine that's just spitting out checks that other programs can't compete with. So, like, my my hope is that at a certain point, as we get into three, four, five years down the road, that every single program will have their NIL entity and everybody will kind of be playing from the same financial, you know, level. And some might pay more than others, but it's not going to be a thing where one program is paying one recruit 8 million bucks and the second best offers 200 grand. Like, I think it's going to start to level off a little bit. And I think at the end of the day, everybody's still going to go back and pick uh, Alabama or Clemson or the teams that they were picking before because their generational wealth is waiting for you in the NFL. So, you know, and like how much money, if your son, if you had a son, uh, was a five-star prospect and was an 18-year-old kid, how much money would just going to Alabama and playing for Saban right now be worth to you? Well, you're 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 basing it on if you can take the long view, like it would absolutely be a smarter thing to go to Alabama, who who advertises the billions of dollars in NFL contracts. But if you are coming from, you know, I mean, Jaden Rashada's family was homeless at one point. If you're coming from that background, and somebody's offering you you know, like a lot of the schools are trying to follow the rules. A lot of the schools follow the rules, do it the way it was intended. And the way they're, it comes into recruiting is, Hey, you know, we can't do anything for you while you're still in high school and we can't make an inducement, but we promise if you come here, you know, we have this great business community. Uh, we have great alumni. You'll do really well in NIL. Um, and then there's other schools who are going screw that. You don't have to wait till that. Here's a check. <laughs> Here's a million dollars. And I yeah, think no, that I those, yeah. Th- yeah, that if you're from a, a economically disadvantaged background, that's hard to pass up. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, th- but I, I wonder think to too, your point like, that, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I, I think that it was just kind of like, do we, pe- do people think that like Bryce Young is hurting for cash? So I guess if you need the cash in the five month period between when you make a commitment and, and get to the, the school, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not in that position. So I don't know like how, how pressing it is, but. Bryce Young was at my wedding venue at Laguna Beach the day I got married. Did you know that? I did know that. It was a crazy, was, a crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, Bill Landis put it in Slack. Uh, Bryce Young is at the hotel. Yeah, like I was waiting for my first look to take the picture of seeing Brit in her dress for the first time. And I looked up and Bill Landis was standing next to me. And don't ask me why Bill was there. But he goes, holy crap. Because he's always there. <laughs> yeah, Bill Landis was my first look. Where there is but, Ari, there's Bill. He goes, that's that's Bryce Young. <laughs> <He's just> like, <laughs> and, and let me tell you, and I don't want to sound... I don't know how this sounds, but like the hotel that we got, like we had a very good hotel rate for having our venue there, but it was a $900,000 a night hotel. So like, you're telling me that Bryce young is just like hurting for cash right now. And it's like, just because somebody's handing a check out early on, I guess maybe that can induce somebody, but it's not like the people who are, you know, going to play for Nick Saban, uh, you're going to get paid and you're going to go to the NFL. You know what I mean? Like it's like a double whammy there. Yeah. So Bryce Young is the biggest star in the sport and he's not yeah. hurting for money because he can make all the endorsements. Whether he was at Alabama or somewhere else, he could make all the right. endorsement deals right now. That's different. Which is true for every five-star quarterback when you think about it. Right. Uh, well, the, I'm, the, I'm talking about the difference between a five-star quarterback who hasn't stepped foot in college oh, in yet Heisman final, versus Heisman, like Heisman. Like he's, he's not hurting for money, whether Alabama has a collective or not. Like, That's right. But yeah. to your point earlier, I do think what, what's happening now is, okay, Alabama signs a guy, 
Georgia or commit gets a commit, Georgia gets a commit, nobody thinks twice. But when Louisville signs or gets a commitment from the number one running back in the country, Louisville, when's the last time? I mean, Lamar Jackson, probably the last time they were really making a scene nationally. Scott Satterfield mm-hmm. has not moved the needle. And suddenly the number one running back in the country from Texas, who at one time was committed to Texas, wants to go to Louisville. Yes, everybody's going to assume there's some big package there. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, and maybe there is, you know, and if I just feel like if there is one that makes Louisville more um, because he it's so funny to me, Stu, because last year there was a whole or last month, there was this whole debate about Nick Saban talking about how much money Texas A&M was backing up. Yeah. Texas A&M was one of the schools that he was considering. So you're telling me that Louisville's out spending the Aggies? <laughs> so it's like, which one is it? It's so contradictory. It's like, oh, Louisville's just an NIL machine throwing cash around. It's like, oh, Texas A&M's just at home uh, sitting there like all slumped over. All it takes is one it. donor, though. I will say this. You know, yeah, yeah. One yeah. donor who really wants that kid is all it takes. But my whole thing has been, let's like let's lessen the stigma and the taboo of this. You know, yeah, right. I know this would never have happened, but if I were Jimbo Fisher, going to that press yeah. conference, I'd say, yeah, we paid him. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not our fault. We figured out NIL before you did, Saban. So yeah, tough no, luck, we figured but... out NIL before Alabama. And if you want to get paid, hit my DMs. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. We actually spent. 30 slice bread is right. We spent $30 million in the class. We'd get every recruit in the country. We would be calling you the next day. I know. I know. Instead, he's like, how dare you? Um, The sense too that like coaches are just afraid of whatever rule might come down. Like, cause like to me, the inducement rule is stupid because they say you can't induce somebody financially. Right. But it's like anybody can make a decision to go anywhere for any given reason without proof with or without financial proof. Right. It's like somebody could give me $800,000 to go play football at uh, Louisville. And if they say, well, you can't induce that prospect, I'll be like, I was going to Louisville anyway. You know, like there's no way you can prove it. It's just, it's not going to ever be enforced. You and can't some regulate schools it. have recognized that and, and are just going to take the risk. And some schools, Gene Smith, Ohio State AD is out there going, he's been leading the charge. You know, we're going to crack down on this. Schools are going to get in trouble. Right. So yeah, well, if Gene Smith was the athletic director of another school that doesn't have the built in advantages that Ohio State has. He'd probably think differently about it. Well, and Gene Smith's coach also went out there and flat out said we need 13 million dollars. Yeah. Keep our roster together. What do you think he means? Yeah. He doesn't right. mean like right. we need 13 million dollars to um, upgrade the locker room. And to mean? bring it all back <laughs> around too, it's like when you think about recruits, if you think about Arch Manning in terms of marketability and financial you know, potential. You could not create a player in a lab that is more marketable right. of a high school athlete than he is. He is a Manning. Both of his uncles are like the most marketable NFL quarterbacks of all time, right? Like just when you see like who's in commercials, like Manning and Eli are in, they're in a million commercials. He's a five-star quarterback. He's from the South. He's getting recruited by everybody in the SEC, Texas, and everybody else. It's like he's a handsome young kid with, a, with golden brown hair. You could not create a person that's more marketable, you know, if like anybody you could probably make more than like the, the, you know, most NFL rookies, uh, how many quarterbacks do you see from the NFL and, and national commercials that you can remember Baker Mayfield's in that annoying progressive commercial, right? That he's like, he lives in the stadium and Pat Mahomes. Is I kind of like those commercials. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. I mean, a lot of people do that. It's funny, but, but to Pat your Mahomes point, Malachi so- Nelson, the USC commit, it just came out this week. His agent or manager was, was, you know, letting everybody know that he signed a million dollar endorsement deal with a, a restaurant group, a Los Angeles based global hospitality firm. So Malachi Nelson, who recruiting junkies know, but the general public doesn't, is getting a million dollars. What is Arch Manning, as in Manning cast, as in Saturday Night Live hosts, as in Omaha, all that stuff. How much is if, if Malachi Nelson get one million, what can what could um, Arch get? Arch Manning is the only high school football recruit that could ever reasonably be in a national commercial. Right. He could be in a flow progressive ad right now with his uncles. I don't know about right now, but as soon as he plays, you don't think they first, would come up with something creative with Eli and Peyton and get him the commercial, the Dr. Pepper commercial that DJ got last year. Yeah, he would get it and it would run the first week of the season is, is, yeah. is what I would say. But he and would have he like, doesn't... but he would have like five of those. He'd be, it's, you'd watch a college football game. He'd be in the Dr. Pepper ad. He'd be in the progressive ad. He'd be in the all, you know, like, yeah, yeah. He'd be in every single national ad. And if you like, think about NFL starting quarterbacks, uh, 
who who comes to mind? Like you obviously think about Pat Mahomes and some of the big ones, but like when's the last time you saw Taysom Hill in a, in, a, in an ad, or Mac Jones or Drew Locke or Daniel Jones? Like a lot of guys just aren't in ads. It's just like Justin Herbert's one of the best quarterbacks on earth, and Justin Herbert's not even in ads yet. You know, it's like you got Tom Brady in a few and Aaron Rodgers, and then that's it. It's an interesting thing. I hadn't thought about that, but you know, you think about it like there's only so many commercials per day on NFL Sunday, right? There's also, but however many there are, there are that many and more on college football Saturday that to this point, there was no opportunity to put any current players in it, but now there are. So I think DJ Cousins ads, (laughs) I think DJ was the only one that made it on a national commercial last year that I can remember did not work out well for him in terms of on the field. Uh, I'll be curious to see how many there are this year. Ari, we've run out of time here. I can't thank you enough. I hope your first appearance on the audible is everything you ever hoped it would be and more. I hope it's not the last one. It won't be. We promise. Okay. Although I got to say, Andy, I mean, I should mention, right? I mean, first of all, you can hear, you don't have to come to our podcast to hear Ari. There's the Stars Matter podcast with him and Mitch Light that is entirely about recruiting. And that shows up on the Andy Staples and show feed on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. But then also Ari is a regular guest on Andy's show every Friday, right? Yeah. Friday and Sunday. Friday and Sunday. Okay. So they talk football, but also is often interlaced with some sort of just really gross food challenge. Podcast with, with football. Yeah. yeah. And you know, if you've, I mean, go back in the archives, if you ever, if you ever wanted to hear somebody almost die on air, Ari actually ate a death chip. <laughs> that was the worst day of my life. Just so you know. And it screwed him up for days. The, the lengths you will go through to entertain the masses. So again, the, the clock is running out, literally running out on this Zoom call. Thank you, Ari. Yeah, no problem, Stu. Thanks for having me on. I'm pleased to be joined now by my colleague, Nicole Auerbach, senior writer for The Athletic, uh, knows every commissioner, every AD, every deputy AD probably in the country. Um, and who, who knew, Nicole, when I asked you to do this uh, last night, that it would be Arch Manning Commitment Day? Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, he did this just for us because he knew that I would be popping on the show. But really, I mean, it's a big deal. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but Texas really does have a way of owning the offseason. I mean, think about <laughs> last year, the Oklahoma and Texas news to the SEC was the defining thing of the football offseason. And, and now this move and, um, you know, just obviously a monster haul for, for Steve Sarkeesian. We don't even know who else is going to want to join Arch in this recruiting class, but that's a big get for Texas. I know, you know, you and Ari discussed it as well, but, uh, just, you know, a real stunner and still surprised to this day that none of these Mannings ended up at LSU. Correct. Um, this is why when I did the Kings and Barons and people are like, I can't believe you saw Texas as a King because of exactly what you just said. They moved the needle. If Arch Manning were committing to no offense, Iowa state, this would not be getting as much buzz right now as it is because it's just fascinating. Sark is coming off a terrible first season, but he's now has two number one ranked recruit in the country quarterbacks. They're not quite successive seasons because because Quinn Ewers reclassified, but two of those guys uh, in the same offseason. So new news of all news uh, coming out of Austin. It's also, today's also happens to be the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And if you've been on Twitter, if you've turned on ESPN, you've probably seen a lot of salutes. And I don't think we're going to try to do our own necessarily, but I wanted to get your perspective, Nicole, because you yourself were an athlete Two sports, I believe. Softball, tennis. Three. Uh, we, we did have some bad basketball teams there until <laughs> the losing was too much. Uh, you used to get asked this like at Peach Jam and stuff by college coaches. They'd be like, oh, did you play basketball? And I'd be like, yeah, I quit after my sophomore year. We went like two and 26, and I just could not, could not. Two and 26. Oof. That's even too worse than lost. my high school's team. Um, so, but your best one was softball, right? Yeah, that was my favorite sport. I was a pitcher. I played travel ball, high school and rec league throughout high school. And that was part of the reason I was so excited a couple weeks ago for the athletic, I got to go to the women's college world series. And that was always like just the dream event. And I loved watching it. 
And I, I think I definitely am, you know, one of the beneficiaries of title nine, because I grew up when there were sports teams in every sport that I could possibly want to play scholarship opportunities. If I, you know, we're going to be good and committed enough. And it was just, there, there was no question. It was that this was an opportunity and a path and I could do whatever I wanted. And I always had male and female coaches that supported that. And it was incredible. And so I just think, you know, there, there's a lot of things we can talk about, about like what women's sports need moving forward for the next 50 years and, and all those different pieces. But I think just sort of reflecting on growing up in that environment, that girls can play any sport that they want, that there's teams, that there's access, there's the ability to do it. And then that, you know, working in sports was always a possibility and it wasn't weird because you know there were others who blazed that trail ahead of me. It's just, it's, it's a cool day to reflect. I think there have been some really amazing stories and, and remembrances, but still a lot of work to do for the next 50. It, do you remember? Cause you know, I've got a six-year-old daughter and she doesn't know any, you know, she just, in fact, she asked me like, why aren't there more girls in football? Like she doesn't understand why any has no conception that there would ever be have been a time when girls didn't play all these sports. Do you remember when you became aware that that there was this federal law that uh, you know from before way before you were born that had led to this opportunity for you? Honestly, it was probably like in college. I, I don't yeah. even think it was just something that I grew up with and didn't know. I mean, it, it's, it's been pretty crazy, especially in the last month as, you know, kind of seeing a lot more of these and I've had some conversations with different pioneers in different, uh, places in college sports about like the adding of, of educational opportunity, like the, the, the tweaks that allowed this to apply to college sports and what that meant. And there are so many like ADs and coaches and, and women working in college sports that, have these opportunities. Tara Vanderveer is a really great one. If anyone, you know, doesn't know her story, but like basically because they had to create more coaching positions, like in administrator positions, it allowed for all of these women who weren't sure what they wanted to do with their lives, but love sports to have careers in it. So all of that's really cool. And, um, you know, again, I, I think that that's awesome that she just thinks there should be more girls playing football because there actually are some in the high school ranks that are, mm -hmm. that are playing positions and not just kickers. I mean, it's, it's going to be pretty cool, but I'm also just glad that she loves softball because obviously she does. I'm biased about that. Yeah. I mean, she really, this was her first season and she really took to it. And in fact, How, what position or do they, play oh, it, like it's beginner level. So you would just move them all around and let them try everything. Uh, she's definitely intrigued about pitchers, you know, yes, I mean, yes. at that level, I pitched to them, but you know, she has seen college softball and we, I took her to one game, a Stanford game, and she's seen it on TV. She knows about fast pitch. Um, she has mimicked it, but what's also really cool is even though the season has long passed us now, she still wants to go in the backyard and practice. So love that. Uh, it yeah. sounds like she's a pitcher. I'm just going to say it. It really does. I, I think so. I think that's probably where it's headed. It's too early to say, obviously. I mean, next year she'll move up a level. And I think what we do then is there is a pitcher, but if she throws too many balls in a row, then the, yep. then the yep. coach then takes the parent over. comes in. Yeah. yeah we, we had that. Um, I remember one of the things, and she would probably relate to this too. Like my mom, my parents signed me up for cheerleading for one year. And like, it was whatever. I mean, obviously I'm not the cheerleader vibe, but you know, I was like six and I hated it, but it was okay. I mean, like, I liked the cheering part. And then I signed up for softball and I realized that you get to do all the cheers in the dugout and <laughs> then also play. And I was like, I'm sold. This it's so funny. Way. You say that that was, they got into the cheer to let's go Madeline. Let's go. They got real into they still, that. They do the cheers in college. Like it just stays, which is part of the reason it's it's my favorite sport and just really fun. But I mean, I, I think like just tying this back to title nine, you know, it's, it's been incredible to see like the viewership and media commitment and those types of things increase with some of these women's sports. Obviously I've spent most of my career covering football and men's basketball, which are male sports. But, you know, I've tried to support and see all of this, the growth of women's sports too. And like you put it on ABC, people watch, you put it on ESPN, people watch like the, softball's a great made for TV and in-person sport. So I saw where the, I'm sorry, I saw where the, the Oklahoma uh, championship round, one of the games was on ESPN two at the same time as a major league baseball game on ESPN and the softball game got better ratings. So 
what is it 2024 that tv deal comes up and we think so the ncaa to this point has just kind of like thrown all those championships into one deal and sold it for parts like <laughs> they have not maximized it at all we think this time they'll sell an actual women's basketball tournament package a women's softball championship package and i think you're going to see that the money go way up yeah i i agree i think you know the, these individual sports are are growing. And so, you know, I think you're going to see that stuff reflected in, in the market, which I think is really cool. And I know we're going to, we wanted to talk actually about the big tens meteorites. Um, but I, I think that, you know, live sports are still really valuable. And I think if you're any of these companies, you're looking at what's growing. Right. And I think, you know, if you see the numbers for like gymnastics was set a bunch of records, volleyball, like, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to see, markets for these sports that people, you know, poo poo and say, no one watches women's sports. I mean, they do when, when they have access to it. Yeah. Well, they're, they're growing. Not all sports are seeing their TV ratings go up and up and up, but that they, those are. So I think somebody's going to jump on it. You mentioned the big 10 TV deal. I think we're all kind of waiting on pins and needles to see how it plays out. Um, Scott Doctrine wrote a story um, for us about this. I think last week I'm losing track of it, but you and I did some reporting for it as well. I, I'm st- starting to wonder if all this stuff about, oh, they're going to ditch ESPN and it's going to be, you know, a Fox, CBS, NBC triple header was just a smokescreen because what we're starting to hear now is, oh, we think it'll still be Fox ESPN. Well, I, I think, you know, ESPN has been at the table all along. It's much more interesting to, to think about ESPN not being part of the Big Ten's deal and what it would actually mean for the landscape and also for the commitment from NBC and CBS to, to beef up the way that they cover the sport. But it is been, it has been so valuable for ESPN and for the big 10 to have this relationship that they've had for so long. And for the Ohio state game, you know, Ohio state's games to be on ESPN and for, you know, there to be incentives for game day to go to these big 10 campuses. And I I just, I think that that was ultimately going to be a major, major factor. I I think the idea of mix and matching and putting different puzzle pieces together to create a deal is always really entertaining and fun. And, And this is part of the reason, like we've focused on this so much, but Jim Delaney deciding to do a short deal that would come up now ahead of some of these other conferences, obviously genius and, 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 very forward thinking, but it, it does create a really interesting dynamic because, you know, obviously CBS lost the SEC game of the week and, and all of these other properties, like if they care about college football, of course, they're going to bid on the big 10, just with the viewership, the city, the markets, all of these pieces to the puzzle. But I, I mean, I, again, I think from the beginning, I would have been surprised if ESPN was not part of it at all. It would really be ballsy to do that. And I, I, I think, you know, we talked to different people around this deal about the deal and, and say like, okay, would someone actually leave ESPN out? And I think people are saying that they could see it, but it's not the present. It's not right now. It's the future. Someone will do a deal without ESPN and we'll see the ripple effects of that. But I don't think we're going to see it now. And it makes sense. ESPN runs college football and we've seen incredible growth in, in big noon kickoff and all of these different pieces that Fox has done, but who owns the playoff exclusively right now, who sets the conversations, who does game day. And that still matters to, to show up on these campuses. I mean, that's all still ESPN. Counter argument. Um, the big 10 is so important and relevant that I don't think it's a valid I mean, I, I get why they would be concerned about the NHL thing, but the fact of the matter is Ohio state football, Michigan football is a bigger deal than the NHL. So the idea that if they didn't show the games anymore, they would just stop talking about Ohio state and Michigan and Penn state. You know, I don't buy that now. Maybe they can just pay more money than the others. I don't know. We're not privy to that, but if you're talking about, to me, the, the thing that that should be of more concern to them is ESPN has the exclusive rights to the SEC starting in 2024. There is no way, to, I can't see how you do this without the Big Ten playing kind of second fiddle to them, given Fox is going to be their primary partner. In fact, one of the strange details that's emerged about these, these negotiations is that Fox is literally in the room. Fox has already nailed down its part of it. And because they now own, and this all happened without like totally on the, on the, on the, on the down low, 
that that they now own the majority stake in the in BTN, sixty one percent. That they basically like it's part of the contract they get to sit in on these meetings. So they're helping pick the other partner, and um, I think there would be something to be gained from getting out of the SEC shadow and and having you know if the SEC if ESPN is going to be uh, all in on the SEC, then Fox is going to be all in on the Big Ten. Um, maybe that's not realistic, but um, it's to me, the Big Ten has so much cash. Like, for instance, the Mountain West just recently left ESPN for Fox. And I think that has harmed them because, like, you used to always see Boise State games on Thursday or Friday night on ESPN. Now those same games are on FS1, which people just don't think to t- turn on. So, but that's not, that's not a danger with the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, but but I see I see the concerns. I mean, so like again, hockey is the example I've used, and you know, hockey's was it with NBC for so long that maybe it became a running joke, right? That they wouldn't even put the highlights in Sports Center top ten, right? Like it was it was just a total afterthought, and you actually see this with the Olympics as well because ESPN doesn't have the rights to the Olympics; they don't commit a lot of resources to covering it, to to doing the feature stories, to going to the sites. And, and now that hockey's back, I mean, it's just, you, you see it so much more and there's studio shows they built around it. So it's not the same. It's not apples to apples, but it's also not like the NFL where no matter what, where the games are played, they're going to show the highlights. They're going to have a daily show dedicated to it. Every morning show is going to talk about it. Like it's, it's, it's not quite that, but I think your point about playing second fiddle is a really important one because that is one of the driving forces, right? Not just that you have other relationships and maybe you can get some exclusive windows on some of these other channels. But I think the idea of, well, you know, who, where their bread is buttered and who they're going to prioritize. And that is a very real point, And that is a very real sentiment and concern throughout the big 10, even if they eventually partner with them, I think you are going to say, well, they have exclusive rights to these leagues. We know they're going to prop them up. They're going to go to those campuses. They're going to talk about those teams more. And that is the reality. I think that's going to happen. And that's what happens when you have exclusive rights. And I think this is also circles back to the playoff expansion points related to multiple media partners is to not have ESPN own all of college football and to have exclusive rights with the SEC and with, and with um, you know, the ACC and with the college football playoff indefinitely. But it's this idea of having other people who have these investments. And then they build up and cover the sport more 365 days a year. Yeah. And, and there's also just a matter of you know, how many windows are available, right? Because they're going to be, they're taking over the 3.30 CBS SEC game, yep. which is now going to be on ABC. But as part of this deal, now, you know, that, that primetime ABC game, whatever the biggest game of the week is, I believe right now it's shared amongst the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the ACC, but, and maybe the Pac-12 too, a little bit. But the Big Ten gets the most windows. But now the SEC can be in that window too. And so... And also with Oklahoma and Texas going, like there's even more SEC games to show. So um, we'll see how it all plays out. I will say this. You were right about Jim Delaney. Never question him on TV decisions. You can question him on a lot of other things. But I remember when that was announced in 2017 and they were very proud of the only going six years. I was like, what's really going to change in six years? That's not a very long time. Well, everything. Everything has changed. Well, and, and what's crazy about this too, is I don't even remember there being much of a backlash, the ACC locking themselves into a deal through 2036, because you're right. Like it was, it just wasn't the like long-term deals were the norm, but like a 10 year deal, 12 year deal. Like the first playoff deal was 12 years, but it, which now feels very long, right? Like we're, we're stuck in this 14 model. And this part of the reason, you know, the, the conversations were so hard over the last year, it had to be unanimous to break the contract. But this is like this happened right in the wake of the ACC signing a long, long, long term deal with ESPN. And now we've we've done the projections you and I have with our friends over at Navigate. Like you're just the value depreciates when you're locked into something so long in a changing media landscape. Obviously, super smart what the Big Ten is doing. And you would think that they would also want to do a relatively short deal again because they're essentially betting on themselves that they're still going to be in demand the next time that their deal comes up. Turning our attention to, so you spent, I joined you on a couple of these meetings, but you spent like half of 2021, early 2022, staking out all of these college football playoff expansion meetings. In fact, 
it was like almost exactly this time a year ago that we were in Dallas at the DFW airport um, Hyatt Weston. I can't even remember. It was the Hyatt, but it was not the nice one. They had a lot more meetings at the Grand Hyatt that's connected to the terminal. We were at the other one for that one. That was the one with the presidents. So we thought that like, you know, they could rubber stamp something, decide something, chart the course for playoff expansion. But yes, that was exactly a year ago. How naive that was. Because we, because well, silly us, we thought they'd sent out that press release. They'd held that press conference. So there's no way they did that, right? Unless this was a formality. They were going to come into the room and present it to the other commissioners, but they probably already knew what was coming. And turns out, no, they actually uh, were hearing that for the first time. So here we are a year later and and it's tabled. But uh, Mark Keenum, the president of Mississippi State, the chair of the board, came out recently and said he would like to see these ne- discussions for the next uh, go around for when the contract ends to, did he say begin or be completed? I can't remember. Which I think one. be completed. Like, I think he, they'd like to have the format set this time next year. Good luck. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've all seen how fast these things move. Yes. But in, in his defense, in the defense of those in the room, uh, it doesn't have to be unanimous this time because mm-hmm. that was to get out of contracts. This is, you could just have a majority and say like, Hey, are you with us or against you? Like, you don't, you don't, you, you know, you don't love this, this model, but the alternative is to not be part of the playoff. So you're going to, you know, be part of, of the college football playoff. I think it was really interesting. I talked to PAC 12 commissioner, George Klyovkov last week in his one year anniversary is approaching, which by the way, wild year, (laughs) a million things happened. We had so much ground to cover, but you know, he was one of the people who's been most critical of exactly what you just described about announcing a format when it wasn't fully agreed upon. And that there were people in the room that, hadn't had their say, hadn't been part of a working group, hadn't worked through their issues, talked about AQs, like all the things that ultimately derailed this process. So he sort of outlined like the five steps that need to happen now. And the commissioners met in Park City this week. They have annual CCA meetings with all the commissioners in division one. And then they have a subset. They have a CFP meeting since they're all there. And they are going to have to figure these issues out. I I thought it was interesting. He was talking about like Jim Phillips was saying, we need to evaluate college football 365 days out of the year. What does the calendar look like? Preseason ramp up health and safety, like all those fundamental issues. And George was talking about like that. They are going through the feedback on those things. They are looking at these pieces. So there, there were tangible parts of this that were not done in the way that people in the room wanted them to be done. That that hopefully are. And again, it's worth reminding people like it doesn't roll over to being a 14 playoff. I think everyone involved expects it will be a larger format, but it they have to do something. And, it, you know, they do start from scratch again and ultimately will come up with something. And then the majority essentially can decide it because either join the playoff or you don't. I mean, basically, the SEC and Big Ten can decide it because everybody like you can't have a credible national playoff tournament without those two conferences. But if, you know, Jim Phillips goes from having the power to almost single-handedly block expansion this, this last time to, hey, okay, ACC, are you with us or not? Like you said, like, we're going to have this thing with or without you. So would you like your teams to be eligible for it or not? Uh, right. that's, but that's but I do think, you know, the, the questions of like AQs and the format and stuff, like those, those are real questions, I, I think should they have held up an entire process over nine months and all those meetings? I don't know. I mean, it was also, this was all happening last summer in a very tense environment. Like after Texas and Oklahoma, the news broke that they were going to the sec. Everyone was tense in college sports. I mean, everyone was paranoid. People were, you know, poaching members from different conferences. Like we, we saw the fallout of that, but you could feel it. I, I went to the CFP spring meetings, which is an annual meeting and they don't really decide much. It's kind of like evaluate how the playoff went. They bring in the ADs from the teams that played and it was light. It was loose because they weren't meeting about expansion. Like you were there in Indianapolis when they essentially, when it was the end, the end of the line and it wasn't going to happen. Everyone was really tightly wound and really tense. And so I, I think there were a lot of factors and other things that were happening last year, which again, hopefully people come together, find a consensus, get this done because they have to have something. But yeah, I mean, I I think we're going to end up talking about the same sort of questions about the perfect size, who gets 
Should there be automatic access? All of those pieces of the puzzle for the next few months again. All right. So last thing I want to touch on, I got an email this week. You did. Everybody did about how the Alliance was doing some sort of joint Title IX celebration for the next year. And and it was like, oh, that's still a thing. Uh, they still have the Alliance. That's right. Um, we are, um, what, maybe nine, ten months. They, they formed that thing right after. So probably about ten it's months end, into it. End of August. I what has say. the Alliance accomplished? Anything? So I asked Klyovkov this. I, well, I essentially asked, like, do you think you're going to actually schedule football games? And he said that that was obviously the, fo- the focus from the press, from fans, from people, you know, like that was the sexy part. We were all excited about that idea and how you could do it. There was one point where I think Kevin Warren even said it, that they were thinking, oh, maybe, you know, our teams could play one Pac-12 team and one ACC team every single year. I, I think some of that stuff, you know, is always going to be a great idea, but hard to actually have happen. Schedules are locked in so many f- years out. And we've also heard from a lot of big 10 athletic directors that they want to stay at nine conference games and that there's, there's value there, which takes away the available Saturday. So all of that impacts the football scheduling piece, but I know that people didn't really want to hear it, but when this was formed, it wasn't really about that part. It was about standing up to the sec after their aggressive move in adding Oklahoma and Texas. And again, like, you know, they're going to say, you know, we picked up the phone. Anyone would take these schools, but it was, it was a move. It was, it was aggressive. It was adding to an already strong conference and poaching two crown jewels from another power five conference. So it was the, those three leagues wanted to stabilize things. They also essentially made a pact not to poach each other's schools. So that, created a stabilizing effect, but there were other on a factors. napkin, right? On a cocktail napkin. Yeah. I mean, There's no signed yes. contract, no signed contract, but there were other pieces that they were talking about at that time, like governance issues that they wanted to kind of like bounce things off of each other, talk to each other, you know, and then playoff expansion. Like they wanted to slow the process. Those were the three that voted against expanding the playoff this past winter. So like they have accomplished different things. They've had a lot of initiatives around like mental health, Again, you mentioned Title IX. So that stuff that they'll argue is very valuable and very important to them. And they've involved a lot of current athletes in those webinars and in those those efforts. So that's what they'll say that it is. But again, I think unless there's football scheduling piece, a lot of people will say, well, what is this? What is this anyway? But did it stabilize? Like, did they not end up poaching each other during a round of conference realignment? Yes, that that piece happened. For now. No, I I don't. I don't. You know, you never see, you don't necessarily see the next wave coming. I don't think it's coming anytime soon, but you never know. You are um, just going to jinx it right there by saying that it'll happen soon. I mean, really, it's the grant of rights that that prevent it from happening so so quickly. I mean, the Oklahoma and Texas are staying. Nobody can believe that they're staying until 2025, but it's because of the grant of rights. They don't want to pay whatever it would take to get out of that and I mean, say what you will about the ACC's TV deal and, and how much it's going to cost them financially. They did have to sign a grant of rights for that long, too, which makes it harder for like Clemson to be like, I want to be in the SEC. So, um, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's it's in some ways, I think it became more symbolic than anything uh, to your point of, hey, we we don't like what the SEC did. And we're, we're taking a stand here and saying that we don't we don't operate like that. Um Again, I would argue that if they had picked up the phone and called Kevin Warren, that they would be in the Big Ten right now. So, well, yeah, it's here's another piece that, that there's also seems to be some alignment on. So Jim Phillips talked about, like, should college football govern itself? You know, right. he's on the Division One Transformation Committee that's looking at, like, what is Division One? What does this mean? Who should be grouped together? And George Klyovkov also said that he doesn't think the NCAA should govern college football. So, again, like. We're talking about, you know, they don't have to be a voting block on things, but raising issues in these meetings among their peers, being aligned on stuff like that, that ultimately does matter. It doesn't sound the same as some of the stuff that people would love to see scheduling and USC play Ohio State annually for five years, whatever it could be. But there is some alignment. There are those conversations happening at at that level. And so I think that's also interesting and worth noting. I still think, you know, I've been saying it since, since last fall, I totally get why the PAC 12 and ACC need each other. 
especially the scheduling component. I don't understand why the Big Ten thinks they need to be aligned with these conferences. They're just as powerful as the SEC on their own. And I yes. think, you know, when you see the various projections about how far they are going to, those two conferences are going to pull apart from the others in TV revenue. It's a logical thing to think, oh, at some point, those are just going to be the only two left. Uh, and that may be a little dramatic, putting it a little dramatically. But um, the, the fact of the matter is the Big Ten on its own, if they wanted to, you know, if they wanted to block a playoff from happening, they could do that on their own. The ACC can't do that on their own after this, you know, once this contract's over. The Pac-12 can't do that alone, but the Big Ten could. And it does seem like the Big Ten and the SEC, they've always been rivals, but it's starting to become more real. It's starting to become philosophical. It's starting to become, hey, we don't, we don't play by the, you know, with the collectives and, and all that stuff, which is pervasive in the SEC. You still see some of the big name uh, Big Ten programs trying not to get involved in that. So um, they are, they are, they, they are, <clears throat> I, I think Greg Sankey and Jim Delaney, because they knew each other for so long, could kind of put those differences aside. Kevin Warren's still fairly new to this. There's been a lot of change in presidents. And it just seems like those two are like kind of looking at each other with stink eyes all the time. <laughs> not the no, not the individuals, the conferences. Yeah, there's I think there's 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 real tension. And I think that's part of going back to the alliance. They were talking a lot about like, oh, we believe in. Uh, you know, offering a lot of sports and academic missions of the school, right? Like there's a lot of that stuff, which rubbed people in the SEC the wrong way. Like what? We don't care about the other sports. We don't care about school, you know, whatever it was, but this idea of like the future of college sports and, and it's so important to have these as tentpole things. And, you know, the SEC is, um, you know, cares about football and, and, whatever. Right. And that like, if you know, you can do, you can the money, there's less sports, you can funnel money to players a little bit easier or, or make it, um, you know, like the Alston payments were, were faster and easier to implement in the sec because there were less athletes or whatever the, whatever it was, but that yes, like this ideal of themselves as like, you know, we care about academics more. We care about like all these, like it was, that was real tension and really like, created added to the friction that was already there because you're saying you're essentially saying that other people don't care about that stuff as much. And so it, it's been a very interesting year on that front. I do think part of the big 10, I am with you totally. Big 10 did not need to align with anyone. Big 10 can stand on its own, go head to head against the sec um, as it has for, for many years on a number of issues. But I, I think it was a strength in numbers thing. And, and again, you had the three newest commissioners. It's going to be fascinating when the big 12, hires its new commissioner when the NCAA hires its new president. Like these are really significant leadership positions that are also shifting. And we've already seen, even with those three commissioners in the Alliance, we've talked about like that, how that has shifted the dynamics of the top decision makers in college football. Like the, there's still two major, major roles about to turn over and we don't even know how that's going to change stuff. Right. It's been an interesting year especially in your beat. Uh, there's been a lot going on. There's going to be a lot still to come. Nicole, thanks for joining me on short notice. I really appreciate it. Audible listeners, Bruce should be back next week, I assume. Uh, send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com and we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.